Word together. Hear God's Word, Acts 18, beginning in verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea, he had his hair cut. He had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch after spending some time there. He departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, into what then were you baptized? And they said, well, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Uh, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you uh, would be at work in and through this, your word. Uh, we won't hear it unless you unstop our ears. Uh, we won't listen to it. We won't heed it. We won't understand it unless you open our minds. And we certainly won't be changed by it unless you are at work in our hearts and lives. And so we pray for your presence now uh, to hear, to embrace, and to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ by this, your word. For it's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. So if I could, uh, if I could steal from Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Knowledge without understanding is meaningless. 
Think about it. Think about all the things you know and don't understand. Say, for example, you know how to say sparrow in four different languages. That tells you absolutely nothing about the sparrow. Say, for example, you know that geese fly south for the winter. You're not really sure how they do that, how they get there, how they get to where they're going. Maybe you're not so impressed because geese are kind of large. Uh, what if instead you know that hummingbirds migrate and return to the same places they were last year? I'm like, I've never seen birds flying with their phones out, you know, watching Google Maps, you know, calling up, you know, the, the guy, the goose in the back of the V. Hey, Charlie, turn left. We know all kinds of things that we don't really fully understand. That happens in this passage. We actually see three different groups of people who have some amount of knowledge, but who lack understanding. And it's three different kinds of people. And for three different reasons that they uh, don't understand. Paul is leaving Corinth. He's heading back towards Antioch, the, the sending church, his initial, the church that's now sent him out on uh, his missionary journeys. He's presumably going back to take a report. He may actually be heading back to Jerusalem uh, as well to fulfill uh, this vow. And in, in Sincrea, Sincrea is the port town. Um, you're on that little isthmus in Greece. If you ever look at your, your a map of Greece, there's a blob of land in the south and a blob of land in the north. And they're connected by a little tiny little strip of land. Uh, that's where Corinth is. That's where Sincrea is, the east coast um, port as he's heading back east. And... He takes with him Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, they've been serving alongside Paul now for a couple of years. Um, he knows them well. They know him well. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but it seems as though, if you're reading through Acts, it's almost like Silas and Timothy have kind of taken a back seat all of a sudden. Okay, they were mentioned back in verse 5. They finally came to Paul from Macedonia and they presumably brought um, financial support from the churches in, in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, uh, down to Paul so that he didn't have to uh, continue his work as a tent maker. But other than that, there really is a whole chapter of Paul and, and now Priscilla and Aquila. And it's clear that they're going with Paul on this journey. And actually, we will see Timothy later um, in chapter 19. But it might be tempting to feel sorry for Silas and Timothy. I mentioned last week, I watch um, most Saturday mornings, you can, you can find me. Um, alone watching English Premier League soccer. Uh, nobody in my house cares. Uh, and, and the first match is usually at 6.30, which means there's nobody else even up. And it's great and wonderful, me and coffee and perhaps a dog and English soccer. 
But you can watch as, as players fall out of favor with their manager. Maybe they're just getting old. Maybe they're getting slow. Maybe the game's kind of getting too fast for them. Maybe it's their work ethic. Maybe it's their attitude. You don't know. But you can watch as players who were starting last year, or who started the first half of the year, all of a sudden are dropped and they're sitting on the bench. And, and you don't really know why. It's tempting to think that, Paul, that Silas and Timothy have fallen out of favor, either with Paul or worse, with God. But that wouldn't be true at all. Actually, what we have is a picture of two things. One, the fact that God uses different people in different ways at different times for different purposes. We're getting to watch God's sovereign purposes unfold before our eyes. But we also get to watch as new teachers, new missionaries, new expounders of God's Word are being raised up under Paul's ministry. And so Priscilla and Aquila, we're told, are traveling with Paul. Before they left, Paul had his hair cut. He was under a vow. He had, had apparently... Uh, made a, a vow of thanksgiving, presumably, to God uh, for preserving him uh, in Corinth through the mouth of Gallio, the, the proconsul. Uh, and so it appears that Paul had made some sort of a vow, and now it was time that the vow was ended, and so he was cutting his hair uh, at the end of that. And this mission team heads out to Ephesus. They're heading east. Um, towards Ephesus. And Paul perhaps goes to Jerusalem in addition to uh, Antioch as well. But in verse 24, uh, this is where, if this were an episode of Bonanza, this is where the narrator would say, meanwhile, back at the ranch. So Luke follows Paul back to Antioch, back to perhaps Jerusalem, and then Galatia and Phrygia, and then the narrator says, meanwhile, back at the ranch, your, your attention turns back to Ephesus. Paul is gone, Paul's not there, and meanwhile, back in Ephesus, there's a guy named Apollos. Notice all the things we're told about him, verses 24 and 25. He's from Alexandria, that's, um, that's in Egypt. Uh, it is uh, a city uh, known for education, known for um, for teaching, for training. Uh, it's actually known for a giant synagogue. In fact, according to one writer, the synagogue was so big that they employed a sexton who stood about halfway back on a platform with a flag to tell the people at the other end of the building when to say amen. You're talking about a huge Jewish population in Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, at this point. Uh, it's the place where the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek, the Septuagint, uh, we call it. And so Apollos is educated there. He no doubt knew Greek and Hebrew. Uh, he no doubt uh, knew his, his Bible. He knew the Old Testament. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, we're told in verse 25. He's eloquent. He's competent with the Scriptures. He can speak 
and he can teach clearly and what he knows he communicates in a way that people want to listen and they hear and understand. But the problem is, he only knows the baptism of John the Baptist. He didn't fully understand baptism into Christ. Though it appears he has the Spirit, it appears that he's converted, he lacks uh, certain understanding of um, of who Christ is, what He's accomplished, and the role, purpose of baptism. See, John's baptism was always looking ahead. John's baptism was looking forward. John, in fact, they told Priscilla and Aquila, told Apollos, look, or Paul tells the, the, the folks in Ephesus, he was looking ahead and, and even even John, when he baptized with this baptism of repentance, he would say, now there's a guy coming after me. His name is Jesus. Follow him. He would point to Jesus and say, that, that's the guy to follow, not me. But our baptism is one that looks backwards. It doesn't anticipate the Messiah. It looks back to the fulfilled work of Christ in his life, death, burial, resurrection, Ascension all on our behalf. Apollos is actually in the synagogue in Ephesus and actually teaching the people. He's exercising his competence. He's exercising his knowledge of the word of the Lord, the way of the Lord. He's, he's exercising his eloquence and the people were listening. But Priscilla and Aquila could tell there's some pieces missing there's some pieces that need, some holes that need to be filled. And so it seems that his lack of understanding really communicates to us he shouldn't have been teaching at all. You know, the, the church is not free from the whole cult of personality thing. Uh, we're not free, unfortunately, unfortunately from... Um, you know, the, the worship of famous people. Uh, Kanye gets converted. You grab him and throw him a mic and say, now go. Now, of course, he's probably born with a mic in his hand. But we give him, you know, the church quickly gives him a platform to speak. Justin Bieber gets converted. And I will say, I've actually heard him. I've seen a video, an interview with him, actually very clearly and, and understandably articulating the gospel. But just because they're famous and just because they're eloquent and just because they make their living with their words doesn't mean that we as the church should hand them a mic the moment they're converted. They're lacking understanding. They lack a fullness to be standing in front of people teaching and explaining God's Word. And so Apollos, who appears to be a believer, who appears to have the Spirit, who has holes in his understanding, those holes need to be patched somehow. And that's where Priscilla and Aquila come in. Notice in verse 26, they were there in the synagogue, they heard him teaching, and uh, they decided to invite him over for dinner. Uh, and and pull him aside, you know, take him to his house, feed him, and say, now look, here's the deal. 
you're missing some stuff. You're missing some pieces. You don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. And so we want to help you understand those pieces. And so they pulled him aside to explain the way of God more accurately, we're told in verse 26. Now look, we could, we could chase this and run down the road of roles of women in the church or in marriage. We could spend the next couple of hours talking about the fact that Priscilla, her name is written first, and so that has to mean something. I will say this, you know we all have couple friends that... You sometimes say her name, his name, and you sometimes say his name, her name. Have you ever thought about this? Maybe you don't do this. Am I the only one? It's Eliza and Jr. It's Fran and Joey. But it's John and Trisha. Those are all friends from college. Don't go trying to figure out who they are. I, I, I picked couples completely, you know, way back in the past somewhere on purpose. We do that. We have, so it's entirely possible that that's all that's going on here. That maybe just Luke said Priscilla and Aquila and it came out that way every time. But notice that Apollos was willing. Now, Apollos, the educated guy from Alexandria, eloquent, competent, had been instructed, knew some stuff, was, was from the... I mean, it was just a couple hundred years before that the, the Septuagint was written there in his hometown was willing to learn from a blue-collar worker and a woman. Don't miss that. Right? I mean, we tend to think whenever those times come to, to nominate men for elder and deacon, whenever you have conversations in the church about who are you going to have for your, your officers, you, you think, well, he's a lawyer, so he can reason well, and, and he, he makes a living with his, his voice, his words, and, and so we probably ought to choose him. Lawyer doesn't qualify somebody for office in the church. Know, knowing and understanding God's Word does. And Apollos actually models humility here. A blue-collar worker, a tent maker, a guy who works with his hands, and a woman set Apollo straight. And all he does in response is get more excited for missions. I want to go to Achaia. I want to go to Corinth where y'all just came from. And you can picture them going, well, funny, there's an opening because we just left there. So you should go. And he did with their, with their blessing, with their encouragement, with a letter of recommendation. Look, women aren't commanded to submit to men. That, that's not in the Bible. Women submit to men. That's not in the Bible. Wives submit to your husbands. That's in the Bible. The offices in the church, elder and deacon, are limited to men. That's in the Bible. And women shouldn't teach in large settings when men are present. That's in the Bible. After that, this doesn't fit any one of those categories. 
It's entirely possible that Priscilla is listed first because she was the more knowledgeable, because she was the better teacher, because she was the better communicator. That's entirely possible. It, it may just be the way Luke writes, or it may actually imply that she kind of took the lead in helping Apollos to understand. We want to train men and women, boys and girls, so that they are able, even if only privately, to instruct other people in the way of the Lord. We want to to raise up, to teach, to train, to equip men and women and boys and girls to know and understand God's God's Word well enough that they could do what Priscilla and Aquila do here for Apollos. In fact, if you're a believer this morning, think back on your life. On the people who have had an impact on your understanding. We we all know people, perhaps you're on uh, this list, that you can kind of go back and go, well, but it was this youth pastor that helped me understand this. And it was this college campus minister that helped me understand this. And it was this college campus intern that gave me this one last final piece of the puzzle. It was my next door neighbor. It was my parents. It was my grandparents. We all have people we can thank for our understanding of the way of the Lord. But it also happens that in Ephesus, once Paul does get there, Apollos is already gone. He's gone to Um, To Corinth, there are more people who have some knowledge but who lack understanding, we find at the beginning of chapter 19. This time, these are people who think they're Christians and aren't. And in fact, they actually aren't the only ones who think they are. Apollos had received the Spirit. These men have not. Um, In fact, they don't even know what Holy Spirit even is. They did you receive the Spirit when you were baptized? We didn't even know what you're talking about, Paul. We ain't... Sorry, we've had Annie get your gun in our house in Oklahoma. We ain't never here tell a no Holy Spirit. It's that kind of response from these people. But they're not the only ones who think they're believers. Look at verse 1. Luke writes, There he found some disciples. He could mean disciples of John the Baptist. But typically, more often than not, it's rare for him to mean disciple as in disciple of someone other, someone who's not following Jesus. So we have to believe that, that Luke is describing them. They seem to be followers of Christ. But look at verse 2. Look at Paul's question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So Paul seems to think they're believers. So you've got this now group of people who know something about the Bible, but do know nothing about the Holy Spirit, who know nothing about Christian baptism, who don't have that that piece of the puzzle of who Christ is, what He's done to uh, for ours to accomplish our salvation, to trust in Him and to be baptized into Christ, and they think they're believers. Luke perhaps thinks they're believers. Paul perhaps thinks that they're Christians as well. We've all known those people. 
You know, it's, it's pretty quick for us to look at this and go, all right, Jeff, I don't think you're reading that passage right. But we've all known people who were convinced they were Christians. We've all known people, we were convinced they were Christians. And those people are nowhere to be found today in terms of church, Christ. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're converts and, they, and just God in His timing is going to bring them back to saving faith. Maybe they've never been converted and God will one day save them. But we've all known people who thought they were Christians that we thought were believers. Those people that walk away and walk away for good, they never were truly converted. Have you ever thought about what distinguishes true believers from the confused ones? It's the indwelling Holy Spirit. Do you have the Spirit or do you not? Is the Spirit dwelling in you or is He not? People who are truly converted have the Holy Spirit. These people are going, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't know what the Holy Spirit even is. We've never heard of that guy. So no, Paul, we don't have Him. We haven't received the Spirit. All they knew was John's baptism. All they knew was a a baptism that pointed uh, towards Christ. A baptism of repentance Uh, A baptism of anticipation, not a baptism of fulfillment. This was all that they knew and understood. You and I don't need a baptism of anticipation because Christ, His work is completed. It's been fulfilled. He has said on the cross, it is finished. We're not baptized with an anticipation baptism, but with A baptism that's grounded in the completed, finished work of Christ. The Son who's ascended back to the Father and they have now sent the Spirit. And so these men in in chapter 19, verses 1-7, through they're not trusting in Christ for their salvation. Uh, They appear to be religious. They appear to be devout. Uh, They... Um, even to the place that Paul would call them, would say that they have believed. Is that you this morning? Are you at a place where you're like, but look at all the things I do. Look at all the things I do know. No, I don't have the Spirit. No, I'm not trusting in Christ and Him alone for my salvation. But I have a WJD bracelet. Right? That has to count for something. Is that you this morning? If you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, this passage urges you to turn from self-reliance, from self-worship, and run to the cross and there find forgiveness. Can you articulate the truths of the Gospel, but you don't trust them? This passage urges you to repent, run to the cross, and there find forgiveness in Christ. There's a final group, there's a third group in this passage that shows a knowledge of the Bible but lacks proper understanding, and it's the Jews in verses 8 through 10. Paul goes to the synagogue, and there, as he so frequently does, 
Uh, notice the language in verse 8, reasons and persuades them about the kingdom of God. That's Paul's pattern. His pattern is to start in the synagogue when there is one. And this is actually the second time uh, he's been in the synagogue. When they first landed Ephesus, he visited the synagogue and then had to leave and go back. And now he's come back and he's back in the, the synagogue again and is there for three months reasoning and persuading, showing these Jewish people who have the Old Testament that the very Messiah they are still looking forward to is behind them. That is Jesus. He's, he's showing them that the Christ is the promised Messiah. That He is the one who, that the Old Testament looks for, that the Old Testament anticipates. He's pointing them to Jesus. They know the Old Testament. They know Israel's history. They know how God has worked in Israel's past. They don't understand that Christ fulfills all of that. You're looking for a king to sit on David's throne? You're looking for the, the true and final sacrificial lamb? You're looking for the, the great and perfect and final high priest to offer that sacrifice for his people? You're looking for the final prophet, the great prophet to proclaim to us, to reveal to us by His Word and Spirit the will of God for our salvation. We just confessed that together just a few minutes ago. Paul says, that's Jesus. What you know is fulfilled in Christ. Let me help you understand. Let me make a couple of applications from this passage. First, knowledge and eloquence don't make teachers and officers in the church. We've said this already. Understanding, knowing what to do with the truths of Scripture, knowing how to bring those to bear on the lives of your people that's what makes elders and deacons and officers in the church. I mean, obviously, it helps if people are eloquent. Obviously, it's easier to listen to if, if people have teaching gifts. But that alone doesn't make an officer. Whenever a church is looking for teachers or officers, we don't grab the lawyers first because they make their money uh, with their voices, with their words. We look for people who understand God's Word. A second application, again, we've sort of, we've sort of alluded to this already, uh, is this. Notice the way God uses different kinds of people with different kinds of backgrounds, with different kinds of past being equippedness, in his kingdom, Paul, Harvard Law School of, um, of first century Judaism, studied under Gamaliel. That's, that's sort of the, the greatest of the teachers uh, of his day. Massively gifted. But who took three years, apparently kind of alone, to study and learn and understand God's Word before he ever began 
any uh, missionary activity. Priscilla and Aquila, blue-collar workers with hospitality gifts. People who, every time we see them, somebody's in their home. Every time we see Priscilla and Aquila, they're exercising hospitality. Church met there. Here's a, a meal, with, presumably, with Apollos. Apollos, an educated, passionate, gifted African from Alexandria, is used in Ephesus and Corinth. Have you ever thought to yourself, I mean, I don't really have what you might call, you know, gifts. I'm really not sure that that God can use me. I'm not really sure how God would use someone like me. I, I don't know that much. I'm not that educated. I haven't, you know, whatever. Priscilla Nicole. God uses all kinds of people in all kinds of different ways to accomplish all kinds of different purposes within His greater purpose. You don't get to look at other people and go, well, but since I don't have what they have, I'm not as useful in the kingdom. And God equips us differently because what they have, they don't have, you do. That's why we're knit together in a body. That's why 1 Corinthians 12 is written. There's your Sunday afternoon reading. A third uh, application. Notice that in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 19, notice the result of... So, Priscilla and Aquila, teaching in Ephesus. Apollos, teaching in Ephesus. Paul, reasoning and persuading in the synagogue. Two years in the hall of Tyrannus after they kind of got run out of the synagogue. You would expect there to be no opposition whatsoever. Because in our eyes, this is sort of like the cream of the crop in terms of church ministry. And yet we find in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 19, He withdrew from them and took the disciples with Him, leaving the synagogue because there was stubbornness and unbelief, persistent unbelief there. And then verse 10, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Here's the thing. Not everybody who hears the gospel is going to respond in faith. This has been an application we've made before and we're going to make it again because it's a thread throughout all of Acts. Even people who heard Paul, the Apostle Paul, weren't convinced, were left in the sinfulness of their stubbornness and didn't believe the gospel. You and I should take comfort from that. Not everybody we talk to about Jesus is going to respond with, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Some people just might respond with, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Pray for God to be at work in their lives 
but recognize that we can't change people. A fourth application, and this maybe not so much applies here, but in, in our world today, uh, the world today will say, well, you can kind of believe what you want as long as you just you know, believe it strongly and live by what you believe. All roads lead to God anyway. Everybody's going to land in the same place. That's not what this passage says. This passage says there are people who are actually outside of the faith and what they need is Jesus. And until they have Jesus, they're not believing the one true gospel, the one true religion, believing things, even believing them strongly and knowing all sorts of facts about them. They're not the same thing as trusting in Christ for your salvation. You can know all kinds of things about the Bible and not trust Jesus. That's not salvation. You can know all things and trust in all kinds of things that are outside the Bible. That is also not salvation. Apart from Christ, there is no hope of deliverance and freedom from sin. Repent. Believe the Gospel. Lean on Christ. Trust in Him as your only hope of salvation. As the perfect and final sacrifice for your sins. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank You for uh, Your Word that calls us to repentance, that calls us to uh, a life of service and faithfulness to You in Your kingdom, uh, recognizing that that life of faithfulness and service is uh, only present because it's fueled by You, by Your Spirit in our lives. Uh, Father, we pray that You would use us to take the Gospel to the lost, uh, that You would reach people Uh, That people who have knowledge but lack understanding, we would be able to fill those gaps. And you would use us to gather and perfect the saints. To raise up, to equip, to train teachers. People who can know and understand and handle your word and explain it to others more clearly. Father, we pray that we would be a church grounded in your word committed to explaining it around this community, that you would strengthen your saints through us. For it's in Christ's name that we ask. Amen.